Uh, if you're visiting today or if you're checking us out online, we're really glad that you've taken a moment to join us. And uh, I know there's lots of things that vie for our attention, but I want to just say this, that our gathering together has got to be of supreme importance because this is the thing that Jesus is most passionate about. He's passionate about his people and his people being together. Thank you, Adam. That's so cool. Last week, we started a series uh, titled The Supremacy of Relationships. And we focused on the things that actually destroy toxic attitudes and habits. And so if you missed that session, you can watch it on our YouTube channel. Just jump on our website and you'll find your way through to the YouTube um, broadcast that's there and, and also back ones. And I just want to thank Adam and our, and our IT team for the way in which they make all of that technology stuff just happens. Like, I know about technology, but I'm not real friendly with it. So I really appreciate those people who are just make that. It's awesome. But today we're going to flip the coin and go on to the positive things that make successful relationships even more successful. So whether it's your marriage, whether it's with your children in a family context or with your work or social interactions, even people within your church or your life group, uh, perhaps it's people that you, um, that you work with or something like that. But every Human relationship is vital and important because God made us to be together. And as we uh, look to the scripture, one of the things that Jesus demonstrates is the incredible value and worth of humanity, of people. And so we want to talk about how we can improve every single relationship that we've got. And uh, so I'm glad that you're here today and I trust that this will be a blessing. Did you get there last week? Was it, we had 21 points last week, so it'd be crazy to try and do 21 points today, wouldn't it? So get ready <laughs> for another 21 points. You ready to write? Some people are taking photographs of the slides on the screens to help catch up. That's okay. Do whatever you need to do. And if you need to slip out into the parents' room, if you have a child, uh, you go ahead and feel free to be, be doing that. Number one. Someone say number one. If you want to improve your relationships, make this a discipline. Number one is life-giving words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, the Bible says. And the words that you speak have got incredible, absolutely astonishing influence over other people's lives. We would far rather be around people who encourage us than those that criticize us. Am I right? And so encouragement is an incredibly attractive force. So if you want to enhance, you want to strengthen, you want to build your relationships, Put something encouraging into your mouth and declare it over your children. Be life-giving over your marriage because your words are like the front wheels of your car. Whichever way you turn your front wheels, that's the direction of your car. And your words have got that much power. So begin to speak positively over your situation, over your relationships and see the miracles that God will do. That's number one. Number two is kindness. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 tells us that it is the kindness of of God that leads men to repentance. Isn't that a powerful thought? The kindness of God, not the judgment of God. The kindness of God that leads men to repentance. You know, these days I think that kindness is highly underrated. The act of kindness. There are not too many people these days who do something altruistically. I mean, they're going to get something in return. Just being kind and demonstrating thoughtful concern for someone else's well-being. I was out for lunch with a precious friend just recently and she was telling me about how she helped an elderly lady across the road, an elderly lady who had a walker, and her friend stopped the traffic. 
I would like to have been there to help with that. Isn't that cool? Just demonstrating kindness. I want to challenge you this week. Why don't you try to do a random act of kindness and see what God will do through that? That's great. Number three is generosity. Generosity is an incredibly powerful force. And when you are generous to people with your time, even with your finances, you know, it's funny that there are more generous people in a pub sometimes. It's my shout. It's one of the best sentences you can hear in a pub. Some of you are laughing and you just shouldn't be. You know what I'm talking about? You, no, no, no. You remember what I'm talking about. Am, are we right about that? Yeah. What is it about that guy that wants to do, go the extra, be generous because generous is a, you can't buy friends because those friends are not worth having. They won't be there when trouble comes and trouble always does come. But a generous spirit is an incredibly attractive, th- number three, attractive thing. Number three is generosity. Number four is understanding. Um, I imagine everybody has heard of the five love languages. Yep. So five love languages of quality time, acts of service, physical touch, words of affirmation and gifts. See, God wired us all differently. Knowing your partner's love language and your children's love language will help you understand how they both receive love and demonstrate love. Who thinks it would be a good thing for us to be able to speak the same language? Right, right. Okay, and very simply, that's what this is. When you understand your spouse and your children's love language. My love language, gifts are nice. Hugs, got to love hugs and kisses. But they don't float my boat anywhere near as much as acts of service. And quality time. So if David isn't aware of that and he keeps buying me presents, are we on the same page? No. Acts of service and quality time. Commit yourself to learning your spouse's love language so you can connect and convey love in a way that they can hear and receive. And if both of you are doing that, how powerful is that in a relationship? Very true. Very true. Number five is patience. Who's ever prayed that foolish prayer? <laughs> you did it once. You'd never do it again, right? God, give me patience. What a, what a crazy thing to pray. And how does God teach you patience? Stuff happens. Stuff happens. This week, stuff happened for me. Uh, we had our grader and our backhoe, I think, sabotaged by probably some teenagers and they threw handfuls of mud in our fuel tank because our filters were clogged with mud and our fuel lines were completely and utterly blocked. And I spent 12 hours not operating the machine but fixing the machine this week and I'm thinking, not cool, not cool. If I could have found those people, I promise you I wouldn't have been patient. I would have dispensed justice swiftly. But when you are patient with another human being, right, It's powerful. It's attractive. It's far better than being impatient. If you are an impatient person, you know what? It's repulsive. It it repels people. Men, don't you dare sit in the car in the garage and pronk the horn. Come on, sweetheart, we've got to go. If you do it, stop it. It's bad. You will not put butter on your toast. Get rid of that out of your life, right? Now listen to what the Oxford Dictionary says. The Oxford Dictionary says, 
the capacity to accept or tolerate delay. Someone say, ouch. Yeah, not me. Handle problems or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. Anxious. When things don't happen at the time frame that I want them to and you want them to, how common is it that our default position is to get wound up, impatient? But that's not the gift of God. Love is patient, the Bible says, and it's a powerful force. Add it to your toolbox in your relationship building skills and see it prosper. Yes, it does include driving, Joel. I know from experience. Number six is thoughtfulness. Listening to understand, not to reply with an opinion. Yeah, full transparency, I'm not there yet. And I guess you're not either. I do not have this down pat in my life. But without the ability to effectively listen, messages can be misunderstood. And when that happens, there can result a communication breakdown. Try practicing active listening without interrupting. Sharon, without interrupting. Looking at that person when they're speaking to you. Putting your phone down. Not jumping to conclusions. Not planning what you're going to say in response. True, yes. Here's a good question. You can paraphrase what somebody has told you by saying, what I've heard you say is. And that will demonstrate that you have actually listened and understood what they are saying. I grew up with my father saying this over my life on a weekly basis. Sharon, the Lord gave you two ears and one mouth. He wants you to listen more than he wants you to speak. Number seven. Only her dad could say that to her and get away with it. Me, right. me not so much. Uh, number seven uh, is soft answers. Soft answers. We shared the scripture last week, but I want to ask you this question. Isn't it amazing how we don't need to get taught how to escalate an argument? If you ever had a teenage daughter, you don't need coaching in how to escalate a conversation, right? It just seems to come naturally. There's just something about... And, and so you need the wisdom of heaven to be able to handle the pressures and the problems because you don't win an argument by shouting louder than the other person. You may win a fight with your fist, but you'll destroy a relationship. And at the end of the day, what's more important? So soft answers are a powerful way in which you can listen to another person, say again what Sharon has thought, reflective listening, but a soft answer gives a detour path for anger to get away from you. Number six, number seven is soft answers. Number eight is love is spelt T-I-M-E. Right. We all have full lives, but we need to allocate time, quality time to connect with our family. Parents, as you spend quality time with your kids, you are investing into their future. You are investing into continuing to build an ongoing relationship as they get older. We can foster these kind of connections by sitting together around the meal table, by having prayer and devotions, by 
engaging with them about their day. And, and all of this is in a family context, but also with your, with your spouse. And um, we used to have this um, tradition of a Saturday morning when we were on Bribey Island where we would bundle up whatever was in the fridge and take it down to the waterfront and have a barbecue. And our adult children still remember that fondly because it was us taking time away from our busy schedule to be together as a family. If you have teenagers, you may very well find that the time that they want to talk to you is generally not a convenient time. Our kids used to come home from youth and they'd be home by 11, 11.30 and you know, he's, he's an owl, I'm a fowl, and he would be snoring and our daughter and our son would come home from youth and, and they would plonk themselves on the bed and want to have a deep and meaningful conversation. And I'm flat out keeping my eyes open. But making that time when they are willing to talk and they are ready to open up is so important. Love is spelt T-I-M-E. It's powerful. Number nine is affectionate and appropriate and meaningful touches. Uh, this is part of the love languages, obviously, but guys, I want to tell you this, that when you touch a lady, she knows what's in your heart. Right. It's like another sense that they have. And so if you've got something iffy going on, keep your hands to yourself. Yeah. Just, just don't do it. Don't do it. Because touching is an incredibly powerful thing. Something is transmitted when you touch another person. Healing is transmitted, but so is intention. Yeah. There's something about touching. So make sure that it's meaningful, that it's, that it's affectionate, and, and that it's, it's positive. There's certain parts where you could touch anybody. Shaking hands is acceptable in our culture. Pumping fists is acceptable in our culture, even the era of, era of COVID. But there's some places you just, you've got to be respectful and understand that, no, that's taboo. We just don't go there, ever, full stop. When we were pastoring on Bribey Island, we had a number of beautiful senior widowed ladies in our church. And, and they would confide to me that the only person who touched them was the hug they got at the front door of our church. You reckon they got out of their car and they walked quickly to church? They sure did. And you know what? I made sure that that person got a hug. And then I bumped them along to someone else to get a hug because that was the only... Me and you know, for human health, we need to be affirmed by touch. When a child gets to about five or six or seven, a ruffle of the hair, not cool. Because I've got hair and I've got personal presentation now. Don't touch me there. But beyond that, below that, just that's cool. right? But you do it to a 21-year-old boy and he might smile at you, but he's thinking, do that again, mate. And he's leaning back ready. Some of you smile at me like you know what I'm talking about. There's just, but if you are a, a little pat, a little slap, a little punch in the arm gently, is appropriate thing for the right kind of relationship. Is that cool? Because you'll enhance your relationship if you master this one. Number eight is meaningful, appropriate, affectionate touch. Number nine. Number nine. Because I'm doing number ten. Right. Oh. And number ten is forgiveness or letting go of grudges and bitterness. Psychologists define forgiveness as a conscious and deliberate decision to let go of feelings of resentment or vengeance towards someone who has wronged you. Oh. When I refuse to forgive, it's like me drinking poison and expecting it to affect somebody else. See, unforgiveness 
ties me to them. If I have something against David and I'm holding him out there, don't you get too close to me. I'm attached to him. Right? As soon as I forgive, I let go. Now it's between him and God because I've released him. This is a confronting scripture. Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, everyone say, but, but. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. So I forgive because I've been forgiven. If the forgiveness that I received cost Jesus his death on the cross, what right do I have to hold others at bay and not forgive? That is a powerful thought. That was revelation to me some years ago. Now, I am not saying it's easy. I am saying it's essential. Yeah. It right. is essential for so, your health. Yeah. When you forgive someone, it doesn't give them a pass or doesn't abnegate them of their responsibility of hurting you. Giving them freedom and re- giving yourself the gift of freedom and releasing them sets you free. Forgiveness doesn't guarantee reconciliation. That's another process and that can follow on later perhaps. But forgiveness releases you from the offence of the other person. Hands them over to God. Let God deal with them because he'll get them. (laughs) Just like he got you. Number 11, gentleness. Any dads here still wrestle with their kids? I used to look forward to getting down on the floor with my kids. And, you know, I could have easy beaten them, Joel. Even when they were four, I could have taken them. But I I let them win. Do you know why? Because there's something about constraining your strength that's incredibly beautiful. When you've got the power, but you don't use it, you let other people win. You you are gentle. You are kind. Uh, I've worked a little bit with horses in my younger years. And to be around an animal that's so magnificent, that is so strong, that just could totally overpower you and have it become your friend and treat you with respect is just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's the same with manhood. Manhood, is, it, it, when it's used well, when it's used right, it's, it's glorious and it's, a, it's wonderful. But when it's used wrong, it's, we are incredibly destructive. We are, we're made for better things, men. Right. So be gentle because God is watching and He's near, the Bible says. Let your gentleness be known to all. You might have a strength, but if you constrain it, if you restrain it, it's far more attractive than being a violent person because violence will destroy every relationship. Number 12 is commitment. For a relationship to last, there must be commitment. There should be a mutual agreement to commit to being open, being honest, understanding and respectful of one another. I recently sent David a text message and we do this because we've only been in love for 33 years Um, And so, you know, we're only new at this. So I text him this message just a few weeks ago and it said, this thing we're doing here, you and me, I'm in. 
I'm all in. I want to encourage you this morning. Be all in. Be all in. Don't hold anything back. Commit to being all in in your relationship. Number 13, uh, developed and used uh, conflict resolution skills. There's great advice for us here in Matthew chapter 18. And if you read this passage in Matthew chapter 18, it's all about how to resolve conflict, resolve tension, resolve problems. And if you've got nothing but bliss in your life right now, we give you a little clap once you hop up and fly around the room. The rest of us human beings have got points of tension in our life where there's challenge, whether it's in the marriage, whether it's with your family, in-laws, praise God for in-laws, they're wonderful people. And, you know, neighbours who've got yapping dogs. <laughs> that family's blessed because they're getting a lot of prayer right now. And I tell you, but, but when, you, when someone's done something wrong, don't put it on Facebook. Yes. Don't send a text message to all your besties. Actually, do what God says to do. Wise up, mature up, man up, woman up, and just go to that person on your own and say, hey, Let's get this resolved because relationships really important to me and I don't want there to be something between us. Sort stuff out because if you don't, it adds up until finally you've got resentment in your heart, you've got bitterness in your heart and you're walking away from relationships because, well, it's three strikes and you're out, buddy. But God doesn't treat us like that and He encourages us to learn how to, well, to, to, to do well in our relationships is to understand that we can use and deploy conflict resolution skills. If we'll do that, if we'll mature in this area, it'll be advantageous to all our relationships. Number 14 is defending words and gestures. There's a powerful scripture in John 18 verse 3 to 8, which talks about when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he stepped between the soldiers who had come to take him and his disciples. Today, it's more likely that someone will be verbally assaulted. Be the person that defends their honour. In the church that I grew up in, it wasn't this one. In the church that I grew up in, my father was the senior pastor. And I was confident that lots of people in our church were going home and having the pastor for lunch. pulling him apart, pulling him down, criticising his, his sermon, bad-mouthing him. And I knew it was happening because some of it got back to me. Don't be that person. That person is ugly. A big man stands up for themselves, but a bigger man stands up for others. Be that man or woman. When you put yourself between danger and somebody else, you'll develop a bond. Mm. When you sacrifice, when you risk your own reputation, when you risk your own personal well-being, you'll build a bond that's unbreakable, it's powerful. Number 14 is defending words and gestures. Number 15, someone say 15. 15. Manners. Manners are old school, but they never go out of fashion. If you just say thank you, thank you, mum, for all the things that you... Someone should text their mum right now. Actually, don't text them right now. Do that after the service. But you ought to just go, because it's Sunday. Hey, mum, I'm thinking of you today. If you've still got your mum, be thankful. If you've got a dad, even if he's a rascal, say something thankful about him, you know, and just say, thank you, God. Thank you. And be thankful when someone does something nice for you, because ingratitude is an ugly thing. It's repulsive. If you've ever worked in a store and someone just comes in and goes, 
and walks out, you're thinking to yourself, you ever driven down the highway and someone's put the blinker on to let you know it's okay to overtake? Ever done that? Do you feel a little warm fuzzy? Do you feel a little like... But then when they don't wave or when they don't give you the flash of the blinker on the other side, don't you go, I hope you get booked by the police. Because you want, some, you want someone to say thank you. What is that within us? Of course, none of you have those troubles. It's just me and my own smallness and carnality. I'm almost a Christian. But that when you say thank you, something develops and strengthens and bonds in the relationship. Let's become people who, like Colossians says, are thankful. Number 16 is honour. The word honour means to highly value something, to appreciate cherish and recognize that it is a priceless treasure it also means putting another person before yourself now this is open to abuse if you're always the one who is on the receiving end and you're never the flip person who is putting someone else's needs before your own but i want to encourage you to commit to honoring each other on a daily basis in all manner of ways. Um, that scripture, there's a couple of scriptures there in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7 um, that says, in the same way you husbands must give honour to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you, but she is your equal right. in God's gift of new life. Right. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Isn't that interesting? Powerful. A man's prayers can be hindered if he's not honouring his wife. Yeah, that's confronting and very valuable. And men, someone should say amen. Good. Number 17 is help others win. So if you empower other people, if you set other people up for success, did anybody here ever play rugby league? Who knows what a suicide pass is? Or, or even in rugby union, who knows what a suicide pass is? It's when all the, all the offensive team are running at you and you've got the ball, but you've got a little mate here beside you, so you flick the ball to him and let him take the tackle. And he gets, he gets pummeled. Some of you are laughing like you've done it. There's a repentance altar call later. Some of you look at me going, what's this strange sport of which you speak? But when you set other people up to win and you empower them to succeed, you know what? It builds that relationship, strengthens that relationship. Whoever blesses others gets blessed themselves. When you refresh others, you yourself get refreshed. It's just one of those timeless wisdom principles of God's Word. So you want to empower your relationships? Set other people up to win. Number 18 is truth. Speaking the truth in love. I wonder if you've ever had somebody come up to you and go, no, I just need to tell you this about yourself, but I'm doing it in love. And you know, there's no love. You're enjoying this. We've all heard the saying, it might be true, but is it kind? Our motivation must always be love. Always speak truth from the place of loving that person too much to not have the difficult conversation that good. needs to That's happen. Good. That's good. In Ephesians chapter 6, we hear how truth is the belt that we wear in the armory. And in a very natural sense, a belt is designed to keep your strides up, right? right. Because if you don't have a belt and you... That's embarrassing. The truth 
is not embarrassing. The truth should be something that is liberating. So we gird ourselves with the belt of truth so that we're not embarrassed, so that we know the truth. The Bible says the truth, you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free and the truth will set others free. Our motivation when we have to have a difficult conversation with somebody should always be grounded in love. I'd like you to speak longer about that because it's so powerful. It's one thing to say to something to somebody because it's the truth. Yeah. It's another thing completely and utterly to say it from a part and a heart of love and concern and compassion. Because yeah. sometimes we don't speak because we don't want to offend the other person. Yeah. But we actually need to because that's what it was required, speaking the truth in love. Yeah. Love is a motivation to have the difficult conversation. Yeah. Point, uh, number, point number 19. Oh, do you want to go on? Oh, well, can I use an, il- an illustration? Please. Um, I'll just use an illustration, shall I? Because I have my own microphone this morning. Um, we knew a lady many, many years ago, like as in, you know, 30 years ago, whose husband would go overseas on mission trips and see a nice dress and buy it and bring it home for her. And you, all the girls are going, oh, isn't that nice? Yeah, no, not so much. It was the wrong size, the wrong colour and the wrong style. Always. He just saw it and liked it. And I was at her house one day and she said, I want to show you something. She opened her wardrobe and there would, without a lie, there would have been over a hundred articles of clothing hanging in her wardrobe that she had never worn. And I said, what's the story? And she said, oh, I don't want to tell him because I don't want to hurt his feelings. And I was like, what? I, I think I'd been married three years and you've probably figured out by now that I'm not shy and reserved. I don't withhold from saying what I genuinely feel. And so this was totally foreign to me. I'm like, you share a bedroom with your husband and and he, you don't tell me that he hasn't, he's unaware that you've never worn any of these things? And she said, if I raised it, he would be offended. I had no point of reference for that. Because in my head, in my head I would be going, and I've done this, sweetheart, come shopping with me. See those? They're nice. See those pair of earrings? I'd wear them. Those shoes? They're great. I love this colour. I look shocking in that colour. Please don't ever buy me anything in that colour. As, and the, as the scripture says, faith without hints is dead. <laughs> but I just think when you withhold from, from telling somebody something that they need to hear that is beneficial, you're not doing them any favours. How liberating would it have been in their marriage and in their life if she had gently sat him down and gone, honey about the clothes you're buying me, she would have started to receive gifts that she could actually wear and appreciate and it would have changed the way she thought about her husband buying gifts for her. Number 19, you need to learn how to rename the problem. I want to tell you a story about a guy who I knew many years ago and because of the delicate nature of this story, I've decided not to use his name and tell you all the details. But this particular person... Uh, and again, I'm saying it was many, many years ago. This particular person was a neighbour of ours and uh, he took issue with the way things were happening on our property. It was not on his property, it was on our property. He got to a point where he'd actually drive onto our property and he'd hurl abuse at some of our staff and threaten them and 
and, uh, and, and a couple of times police were actually called. And it was up to me, I was assigned with the task of resolving the conflict between this person and, and, our, and, our, and our ministry. And so the first thing I did was I renamed the person and I said, that's my friend and let's call that person Barry. Because Barry is not his name. And so I started to refer to Barry as my friend Barry. And I was thinking, this guy, is, he's, he's, he's got problems, this guy, because look at the way he's behaving, look at the way he's threatening people, look at the way we had to call police. This guy is violent, he's got the, the, the things that he promised to do to my young people and our staff, and I was like, we're going to get a restraining order on this guy. But I chose to refer to him as my friend Barry. And uh, over the coming weeks and months, uh, I would always refer to him as that when I stop and talk about, good morning, my friend Barry. And I'd wave to him and, you know, first of all, he would shake his fist at me as I would drive down the road. But after a while, there was occasions I had to stop and talk. I always referred to him as my friend Barry. And do you know what? Eventually, Barry became my friend. He stopped driving onto our property. He stopped threatening to do all kinds of wicked, evil things. And in fact, he actually began to engage with our ministry in a positive way. He sent his children along. And I'm thinking, how could we have gone from that to this? The power is in renaming a problem. And if you'll learn the Bible wisdom, you'll actually be able to, again, words are powerful, but begin to declare God's truth over the circumstance, over the situation. When Jesus met Peter, right, his name was Simon. And Simon means reed, it means blowing around like a reed beside the riverbank. And Jesus said, I know who you are and I know what you're like, but from here on in, we're calling you Rocky. And you know what he became? A rock. And later when Paul writes about him, he says, there were pillars in the church at Jerusalem and Peter was one of them. So he'd gone from being a reed to a rock to a pillar. When you change your language, when you rename the problem, you think you've got a teenage problem right now? You've got a wayward son or a wayward daughter? or a troublesome somebody, if you rename that, the life that's in your tongue, God will bring about a healing and a miracle. I'll give that to you to, to ruminate on. Number 19 is rename the problem. Number 20 is deeper communication. We put this into practice in our marriage yeah. many years ago and have reaped the fruits of it. Stop asking that foolish question, how was your day? Because it's a closed question. Instead, think about asking these kinds of questions. When did you feel most appreciated today? What's something you did that made you feel proud? What was the best part of your day? Tell me three times you felt like you were winning today. When was the time that you felt grateful Tell me something that made you laugh. These are all examples of open-ended questions that are created to engage in conversation. If you ask someone, how was your day? They're generally going to come back with good or fine. End of story. That's it. It's a closed question. But when you ask an open-ended question, you invite a response. And that opens dialogue. And you can develop deeper communication, deeper levels of communication from that. Yeah. When you ask a person what do you do for a job, 
you'll get an answer, a pretty standard answer. But when you ask them why they do what they do, the conversation goes deeper. Right. Yeah? You see that? What do you do? Why do you do what you do? That will take the conversation deeper. In the same way, all of your relationships will be developed, strength enhanced if you develop deeper communication. Our worship team are returning to our platform. As I finish, point number 21 is maintaining trust. We'll talk more about this uh, in another message because it's just such a vital part of all human relationships. Trust is fundamental and foundational to all human relationships. Trust makes relationships possible. So whatever you do, don't undermine trust, but look for ways to continue to maintain, strengthen, and develop the things that you can trust each other on. There's a scripture there that I won't read, but I'll leave it up on the screen for you. The the reality is that trusting is such a critical part of successful human relationships, and that's why it should be so safeguarded. It should be maintained at all costs, If you have to give up on something, never give up, never quit, never do something that's going to damage the trust that your relationship has, whether it's with your boss, whether it's with your child, whether it's with your your spouse, whether it's with your family, your relationships with neighbors and friends, because trust makes all human relationships possible. All right. So we've brought our, our, our teaching session to an end this morning. But before we close, someone go to the next slide. I want you to take a moment and I want you to identify two or three of these ones that you need to take away and say, I need to work on that. That's something that I need to work on in my life and in my relationships. It would be enhanced if I really energized and if I really activated this, this tool. If all you have in your toolbox is a hammer, then every problem looks like a nail. But if you go, Holy Spirit, just show me two or three things that would strengthen, that would enhance, that would would just make my relationships more robust. Just to highlight a few, just take a few away with you today. And in a moment, we're going to pray. If you're watching online, you might need to zoom in on the screen and just uh, catch those points. But I really want you to take to heart. It'd be, it'd be interesting to spend a morning listening to good communicators, but if less we take it home, we act on it, we do something with it, then it's a waste. It's a waste. Be that good soil that receives the Word and lets it transform your life so it can produce the fruit God wants to produce in your life. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, right across this room, there are people with all kinds of needs. We know that relationships can bring us the greatest joy, create the greatest anxieties, produce the greatest heartbreaks. But even as we read about our Savior Jesus, who increased in favor with God and man, so too we, Lord, as your disciples. We don't want to be men pleasers, but Lord, we want to be the kind of people who are attractive, who are not repelling. They're not awkward to be around. They're just comfortable and encouraging. The kind of people whose presence and whose company we keep seeking out. We want to be that kind of church, Father. 
We want others to feel welcome. We want to put ourselves out so that others can find their way in. I just thank you for this house. I thank you for the anointing that's on it. I thank you for the purpose you've got for it. Lord, through our lives collectively, in a unified way, we can see your kingdom come, your will done on earth, even as it is in heaven. And so, Father, bless your church today, I pray. Those of you, those of us that have questions, not just about the reality of God, but how you actually would work in our life, God. We're just inviting you to continue to lead us towards home. Lead us toward our Saviour, Holy Spirit. Lead us towards hope and purpose. Lead us towards life. Father, those that are watching this broadcast today, whatever the circumstance is, those here in this auditorium, whatever our situation is, whether we feel so far away from you and that we could never return, we could never dare try and get close. Wherever we are today, Lord, I pray the great grace, the invitation of heaven would be heard in our spirit. Whoever so wills, let him come. There's water to drink. There's relationship to enjoy. There's answers to prayer. There's wisdom for every moment. And there's life in abundance. So, Father, I bless this church today in the wonderful name of Jesus. And God's people said, Amen.